Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening, and let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for the ongoing support. It means so much to have you listen and feedback and I feel great that there's uh, that some real values being transmitted here. So thank you for letting me be a part of your process. I am thrilled to have on today uh, a woman who was so highly recommended by so many people I look up to. Her name is Michelle Saul. She runs Possibilities.co, which is an executive consulting company. They run retreats, uh, they do seminars, and they help people in the corporate and private space live better lives, get out of their own head, learn how to control the voices in their heads, and to be more emotionally intelligent and, and, and overall happier. It's such an important topic that only becomes more important as time goes on. So there's a lot to, to write down here. Please get, uh, get your notes ready, and you might even have to listen to this twice. Thank you so much for joining me today. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, Lift Your Legacy is committed to helping you live a more authentic and meaningful life. That being said, if I could ask you to share this podcast with someone that you think would get value from the message, that would be fantastic. In addition, I wanted to make you aware that along with the podcast, I do offer executive coaching. I help people who are successful and highly motivated, who want to see extreme, or not even so extreme, maybe just a small change that in their life. I want to help them get to the next level. What does that mean specifically? Creating more peace in your relationships with yourself, growing your business, clarifying your career. And even if you need a little bit of help losing some weight or getting more healthy, I do that also. I'm not for everyone, but for those people that are invested in making their life better and taking the next step, I highly recommend you consider me as a coach for you. Now, how do you get in touch? Well, you found the podcast. I wanted to tell you also my email, Jacob, my first name, Jacob at liftyourlegacy.live. Feel free, please, to reach out there or on all, any or all of my social media channels. I'd be thrilled to give you a complimentary half an hour conversation to see if we might be a good fit to work together. And now, with no further ado, I ask you to please sit back and enjoy the show. Michelle Saul, I have heard so many amazing things about you. I'm surprised that it's taken this long for us to actually have a conversation. You love all things that uh, I am passionate about, from the, uh, the ability to help people become more emotionally intelligent and live the lives that they want, to yes. fitness, to mindset, to everything, business. So uh, I'm so honored and appreciative for you coming on the show today. My pleasure. So, Michelle, how did you get started? We mentioned in the pre-call you started, you have personal training background. Like, what, what's, how do you get to today? How did I get to today? Well, it's a, quite a long journey, and I'll try to consolidate it. Basically, uh, I started dancing very early age, and I got my degree from dance, from UCLA in dance therapy. Grew up in Los Angeles. And when I was 24, my parents sent me to a personal development 
seminar. It was called Life Spring. It was in 1977. Nice. And I was, I was 24 years old. I had very low self-esteem. I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. And I went into this personal development growth seminar and it kind of blew my doors open. Can I, can I stop you and just go rewind a little bit back yes. to you growing up, like what, what your family background was like and what your experience was that sort of led you up until that point where, you, where as you said, you, you sort of struggled with self-esteem and issues like that. I'm, I'm assuming if you go to UCLA, you probably come from a good, again, I, I was a rabbi there. So like I, I sort of know some of the student body and it's like most people there do come from, in most cases, you know, nice, you know, like upbringing, but then yeah. do have these esoteric crises of conscience that people that have backgrounds like that th theoretically shouldn't have in, in the common nomenclature. Why would you have low self-esteem issues when you <laughs> grow right. up like that? Well, for me, um, I had an extraordinary family, four, four siblings, two parents that have been together since they were 13. My father has simply uh, since passed, but um, I grew up in a really, you know, with all of these beliefs, it wasn't about where you were, you know, if you were going to go to college, it was where you were going to go to college. And I just, I loved to dance and my family was very loving and very supportive and uh, very philanthropic. And I grew up with um, a set of values that were definitely Jewish values, tikkun olam, how to repair the world. When all my life, when people will say, I don't understand, you know, everybody talks about purpose and you're supposed to find your purpose and what's your purpose. And that always confused me a little bit because from the time I was born, it was your purpose is to make the world a better place. <laughs> so that was always my background. And then my, my personal self-esteem, you know, being able to sort of let my own light shine uh, is a very personal story. And that was when I was a young child, my sister, when she was 10, was diagnosed with the juvenile type 1 diabetes. And I was eight years old. And my parents, you know, when my sister survived, she went into a coma. She came out of the hospital. And at eight years old, my sister and I shared a room. and my parents taught me at eight how to pay attention to how my sister was breathing in case she went into another, um, you know, lost consciousness or went into acidosis. So from the time I was eight, I kind of grew up, but I always felt like my, my life was responsible for taking care of other people, which actually fits my DNA. That's um, just kind of how, how I was raised and how I was born and how I sort of feel from the inside out. But my sister always struggled with her weight and I didn't when I was young. And so I was always kind of embarrassed to be called out because it hurt my sister's feelings. So I kind of learned very early on to turn my light down. It wasn't okay to let my light shine because letting my light shine caused other people discomfort or hurt or pain. And I, somehow incorporated that. Of course, you don't know that as a child. That takes development and therapy and conversations and with other people to sort of unpack all of that. Where did that come from? Why was I so insecure? 
So, so just to, to bullet point a couple of those, those ideas and make sure I'm hearing it correctly, one of the points was that even though you sort of had a expected, what am I here for? Mm-hmm. It was such a general, what am I here for? That the individual, like, like, like you, like, what do you, what do you do? And how do you do that? And so it's so focused on, and, and I think this is a, a common theme that, that is so universal is there is such a focus on all of the quote problems that I should be solving that we don't ever slow down and ask, who am I to go and solve those problems? Not like, you know, exactly. what am I worth? But like, practically speaking, how do I, how do I get to know myself well enough so I can best use my skills? Um, so that, that's the first thing you're saying. And, then, and the second thing was that, that because you were a caretaker and because you had to grow up, and, and again, so many people growing up have to deal with sort of growing up, you know, sometimes children of addicts or, or coming from a divorced home or in your case with siblings that were unwell, that you're so focused on other people, you can't focus on yourself at a, at a young age. That's very difficult. And of course, that's a theme that probably people struggle with their whole lives is, you a know, big thing, right? right? Like as a, as a, as a husband or a wife or a, or a parent, like who are you as opposed to who do you have to take care of? And right. then also you, you, you carried on your shoulders the the fact that whenever your whatever made you special was gonna be harmful to the people that you loved and so to speak you you would hold yourself in so that you didn't make big waves exactly okay so when i that's perfect that was uh very well encapsulated and so you know i sort of learned to turn my light down and sort of fly under the radar and then i went and did this workshop and my sister and i actually did it together so it was actually incredibly healing. Uh, we were able to talk about that. She just, we just sort of opened our hearts to each other. And I, this voice in my head, I had these warring voices. One voice said, this is extraordinary work. This is what I want to do. This is the purpose of how I can make an impact in the world. And then I had my self-doubt voice kick in and go, who do you think you are that you could could do this and stand in front of a groups of people or, you know, help people out of their own problems. And, and so I just quieted that voice down and I learned skills and techniques and took courses and classes and seminars to learn how to quiet my self doubt voice and start to have more positive self-talk. You know, I, I kind of say it like this, would you keep as a best friend someone who talks to you the way that you talk to you? No. <laughs> and I realized, no, probably not, because I was so hard on myself. And so I started practicing, because it's a practice, just like yoga or mindfulness. It all takes practice. It doesn't just happen by waving a magic wand. You've got to have commitment and intention and, and uh, stay with it. And it you know, most people say, well, I tried meditation. That didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I tried I, that I, once and they give I, up, right? I, I think what's, what's really fascinating about what you're saying, and, and I think are, are two very important and, uh, and crucial points. It, it, first of all, the idea of being able to have difficult conversations with the people that we love. Yes. And, you know, if that's a sibling, if that's a parent, if that's a spouse, if that's a boss or a child. How you know, do you say those things out loud? Right. And you're always, they're always in the back there. You're like, I'm tired of taking care of you, or, you know, you make me feel so bad, or, or, or I don't like when you talk to me that way. And because 
the relationships are such that there's so much like riding on them. We oftentimes feel like the other person can't hold how we feel. Yeah. And, and we that, project that. We make that assumption in our minds, project that, and so then we withhold. Exactly, exactly. But, but then you're saying you actually, it's like so amazing when you, you know, I, I, just reflecting back, like I, I had the opportunity to kind of speak very candidly with my mom and ask her about some of the, some, you know, she, my, my father and her divorced. And so I, we had a very candid conversation about, you know, like what happened and what were you thinking and how did this work? And as much as I always was terrified of that conversation, it was sort of looking at it and realizing that, you know, and it's always, we always had that with our parents. It's like, you know, they're just people that are doing the best job they can. And they were, they were young too once, you know, it, it's, it's very, it's very healing. And then the second point is, which, which I love is that we sort of take our negative voice and we think that's reality. Right. And, you know, it's like the reality is I suck. I would like to do this and, and X, Y, and Z. And once you kind of shift and realize that that voice is actually something that you can control and sort of step aside of that. And then, like you said, it takes practice. You can actually shut down that, that, that negative. Quiet it down. Yeah. One of the skills that I teach is um, to teach people, like I ask them, you know, we usually have like a committee of voices inside of our head. They, so you have a, do you have a self-righteous judgmental voice? Uh-huh. Do you have a victim voice? Poor me. Yeah, I got one of those. Do you have a rebel voice? The minute somebody says, okay, here's the rules, right? Um, do you have a little kid voice? That, you know, when you get your feelings hurt. So I said, so when I'm doing my work, the voice inside of you that I want you to focus on, because what you pay attention to determines what you see. What you pay attention to determines what you miss. What you pay attention to determines where you're going to put your energy. So if you're focusing on that negativity, that's what you're going to create. So what voice are you listening to inside your head? And so I said, well, let's give it a name because the secret of the universe is the true naming of things. So what if the name is um, your most adult resourceful voice? You can call it Marv if you want to, most adult resourceful voice. <laughs> and I train people to have that resourceful part of themselves, ask themselves, all right, is what I'm thinking, is this the truth or is this a self-limiting belief? Because we, like exactly what you just said, we're convinced that that voice in our head is the truth. And it's not, we just think it is. And then we look around the world and look for stories and incidences that we can prove ourselves right. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's what we end up, that's the reality that we create. So I work very hard on training people that you get to create your reality. We what have... reality do you want to create? You get to create that. I, I, I just to clarify for the listeners that that while both of us are Jewish, we did not uh, go through our our, our uh, you know we didn't we didn't compare notes before this. I just I wanted to share what what I found what is, is what what you just said, which I did not prompt you on, uh, was about <laughs> was about the power of naming. Yes, and that's a very concept. It's also it, a Native American concept as well. Amazing, right? Yeah. So you see, like that that's a concept. Oftentimes, it's overlooked. It's like that the the very first thing that that 
in the in the Genesis story that it talks about what Adam did was he named all the animals and he named God, he named named, named himself and he named his wife. And and that whole concept is that there is nothing that is. And again, this sounds so Eastern and like everyone's like, yeah, but you know, I didn't grow up with that kind of stuff. It's like, <laughs> no, well, if you read the Bible at some point in your religious tradition, you did grow up with that stuff, which is right. which is recognizing that everything ultimately is waiting for humanity to put their lens on. Yes. That's, That's what awesome. creates it. That's what creates it. Exactly. So I, I teach people that and facilitate that to help people create that experience that they're the ones that get to, to manage that, that and naming things is extraordinarily powerful. So when somebody says, you know, in that inner voice is saying, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not whatever enough. We start to believe that. We don't see it as a belief anymore. We're convinced that it's just what is. Something that's so exciting, it, 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 tell me a little bit about your experience with the crossover is, you know, a- after technology mm-hmm. really took off in, you know, the early 2000s and you see the rise of all of these, you know, the, the unicorn, you know, Googles and Teslas and, you know, like the world is really optimal. So it's like, in a certain way, nowadays, we can appreciate when someone like Elon Musk says that he's going to hire people that don't graduate high school. And that's kind right. of, you know, he wants to kind of get before the real brainwashing starts. <clears throat> because right. you started your practice before that time, what has it been like bringing this idea of mindfulness and, and coaching into corporate America and the workspace and, and not leaving it for the yoga studio or the local, you know, however people choose to connect spiritually? That's a, that's a great question. Well, first of all, the other um, Kabbalistic construct that I always hold- We're having such a good time right now, thank you. <laughs> is that as human beings, we are simultaneously living in four worlds. It's the four worlds, right? We're living in the physical, the emotional, the intellectual, and the spiritual. In the corporate world, what I discovered is that you don't typically have permission to use the word spiritual. That sounds like religion. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about when I use the word spiritual, I'm using, I'm using a construct of connection and purpose that you are specifically uniquely important to your world and the people in it. And so when I'm holding that construct, bringing that into the corporate world, I just get in under their radar. For example, I'll use the construct of, well, how much stress are you under in your technology where you feel like you just want to get information and give information. You don't want to have to talk to people. You don't want to have to have a heart connection because that's touchy-feely and that doesn't belong at business. So I talk about I talk about it from how we support each other. I talk about it for how you feel connected. I talk about it from, look, people don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care. Well, that's about connection. So, okay, so how do we get past that? And then I talk about, well, how much stress are you under? I use a personality profile that measures energy reserves and stress. So if somebody's stressed, so now I can get in under their radar and talk about stress. Well, let's talk about how you manage stress. Well, that requires breathing. (laughs) That requires slowing down to speed up a counterintuitive process. Let's slow down in order to speed up. You have to take your breath. Well, so then I talk about it from 
the Latin word spiritus means to breathe. So let's slow down. And so I teach breathing techniques. I teach mindfulness so that people also can have the opportunity to go inward to actually listen to their own answers, that their, their own resourceful voice inside of them really knows their brain, their cognitive brain, their heart brain, and their gut brain. And that- One second, I'm, I feel like yeah. I'm overwhelmed by a fire hose right now. And I, Sorry, I'm, I'm, no, I get very I passionate. It. I love it, no, it's fantastic. So I wanna do a couple of, a couple of bullet points here, okay. which, which is crucial, which is first of all, like we said, a lot of times people feel the word spiritual. Are you spiritual? God, religion, people like, I don't know. Like, I, I'm not sure. Are they, are they freak out at the word God? That's yeah. so uncomfortable for them. So, all right, right. So how can you translate that? Right. So then, but then it's like, okay, like practically in your life, is there a sense of a connection of oneness that you, that you have, you know, that you have shared commonalities, ideals with people mm -hmm. and, 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 and everyone can connect to a certain extent with that. When you, when you read something, you feel passionate about it. When you feel drawn towards something, that's, right. that's, that's point number one. Point number two, now this is amazing. Spirit is the word, you know, spirit, the Latin word meaning breath. And again, pulling from a Jewish source, the idea that the way that, that God sort of speak woke humanity up breathe was by breathing. breathing and, and being able to, you know, how to breathe and how to communicate. And the, the other thing, which was like, a uh, might've been a throwaway line for you, but I was like, this is amazing. So often we have um, the, the whole idea about that, that um, the, uh, the imposter syndrome and who am I to get up and give this kind of a talk. And, right. and what you said is that, it, it, and, and, and it's a beautiful thing because it's so counterintuitive. You're like, you're a dance major that goes in and you know, counsels people that are running multi-million dollar, you know, hundred million dollar companies. And it's like, gee, what you know, hundred million dollar company did you ever raise? And the answer is like, I didn't. But what I did do was I learned this information. I'm coming from a place of service and I'm not trying to tell you how to invest your money, right? What I'm trying to tell you is how to live a way, a, 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 according to a life pattern that I myself have been able to yes. work on and develop. And so it's like, I, I don't have to be your everything. I can just share my experience with the hope that it, that it, that it makes you better in the area that, that you need from me. That's right. How can I help you be a better person? If you can be a better person and have self-confidence, get past the imposter syndrome, know and recognize your unique talented, talents, be completely open and honest about where your areas of improvement are and what your blind spots are, then you're going to be a better leader. You're going to be a better husband, a better wife, a better partner, a better um, a manager, a better coworker, a better dad, a better mom, just a better human. And that's, that's the most important thing of all. There's nothing more important than that. And one of the things I've also loved from my Jewish background that has stuck with me forever, a couple of things. One is the idea of win-win. You know, how can we be, uh, how can I see myself as winning at someone else's expense? And I learned that as a child during the Passover service when you take your glass of wine, which is the symbol of joy and gladness, and you, you take some of that wine out because while the Israelites escaped, that required a lot of Egyptians to die in the Red Sea, or so the story goes. So how can we be fully rejoicing when other people of humanity are suffering? 
So I learned that as a, as a very young child. I thought that was an amazing construct. The other that, thing- I'm sorry, to, I'm sorry to interrupt. I think that that piece, um, you know, the, the, as a, as a, I used to be very involved in politics, even though my, my political affiliations have, have, have swung wildly. And then as I became a rabbi, I, I, I lost a lot of my interest in it genuinely just because I felt like it wasn't, you know, and then, and that was a it's while mean. ago, like now it's even more divisive. So it's just like, I don't touch anything, but, but I, I feel like yeah. the, one of the, th that point is oftentimes what people perceive as the largest um, setback for the polarization of, of, of the political world, which is basically, it's not like that you don't have a perspective, but it's just like my perspective is such that I lose compassion for the people on the other side of the aisle. And I think if, if the message, even if it's a polarizing message, even if we're going to take, so to speak, the country or the company or our lives in a radical direction, having that compassion for, hey, you know, I always used to be your enabling partner, but now I can't. Or I always used to, you know, grumble and then give you the money that you needed. And now I'm going to smile and not give you the money that you need. You know, it's like if you have that compassion, so it allows you a lot more latitude to do what you know is right, even if it's going to be offensive, because you're, you're, you're making space for the offensive and you're doing the right thing anyway. That's right. And so what's interesting about that is um, I teach emotional intelligence and really there's people go, well, what does that mean? Or there's, you know, how do, how do I do that? And it's possible to increase your ability to have empathy. And there's really, there's really three kinds of empathy. There's cognitive empathy, which is, I understand what you're saying. That's, that stays cognitive. Then there's emotional empathy, where I actually feel what you're feeling. I've had a close enough experience where I actually can feel the feelings that you're feeling. And then there's compassionate empathy where not only can I understand it and feel it, now I wanna do something about it. I want to actually support and be in service and how can I help? And so all those different layers, not everybody taps into all those different layers of empathy. So in the workshops that we teach, that's what we pay attention to. Um, teaching visually, auditory, and kinesthetically so people have a felt sense of, well, how do I create that feeling of empathy and that feeling of compassion where I really want to do something about it? And one of the things that I teach at the end of that and um, that I've always struggled with our American culture, because our American culture really thrives on individualism, right? You got to be separate and take care of yourself, you know, individualism. And here I am in the corporate world teaching teamwork. <laughs> so how do we justify, how do we create places where it's important to be independent, places where it's okay to ask for help and be dependent and, and get advice and help from other people? And where can we create a sense of interdependence? And the challenge I have found in our American culture, it's right in our constitution, is that we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That has gotten in us into a whole lot of trouble because we equate happiness with, well, how many toys do I have? What kind of house do I live in? And it, and it equates to this materialism that gets us farther and farther away from our compassion and our hearts.
That's so fascinating. And, and I never even thought about that. This idea that, that from the constitution, we put on the same pedestal, happiness, life, and liberty. And so like life and liberty, we totally understand like, I will go to war for these two things because the, the value is so intrinsic to right. society. But like, like I'm sure you've seen, it's like if a person simply pursues happiness, happiness is an outcome in a lot of cases of being in line <laughs> with yourself or in line with your cause. But if you pursue, you know, like meaning or connection, so then the happiness kind of comes on the back end as a, as just an additional benefit. The happiness um, is the consequence of living a really good life. You know, if we're accountable and honest and clear and truthful and compassionate and all of those qualities where we are you know, really living, it's like even when we think about our high holidays, we don't typically say happy new year. We say Shana Tova, may you have a good year. Live a good life and the happiness will follow. One of the things on, on, on that idea, which is so, you know, it's, it's really fascinating because when you look at America and where they get their, they, where the values, I don't want to say they, we Americans get the values from, we, yeah. right? Um, you know, it's, it's that hybrid of, of, you know, Jewish and then the Greco-Roman world and putting all these different things to Judeo-Christian and, and, you know, right. we take all these ideas together. And it was fascinating. I remember um, when, when Obama said that line about, you know, if you have a business, you didn't build it. And the implication being that there's a lot of infrastructure that goes onto it. And then the, t the people that I were, was hanging out with, it, you know, it was saying, well, you know, how could you say that? What about the rugged individualism? And it's really fascinating because that is the concept behind, from a Jewish perspective, of Shabbat, where you work six days and then you take the, the seventh off, which is the idea that the, the, the individual effort is crucial, but we do exist in a world where everything's basically got us up to this place and everything's going to be fine if we can take the foot off the gas, which is that you know, same idea of exactly the idea of slowing down to speed up. Ultimately, if I feel safe, protected, that the resources I need are there, that the team I need is there, that everything I need for my next, you know, I don't know how I might get, you know, to my whole life, but just the next couple of steps, it's already there and it's already present in my life. I just have to look around and say, okay, what do we need right now? Or what, what can I do right now? Yeah. That's how a person is able to always achieve from a place of satisfaction and abundance, as opposed to that, that, that very sad limiting type of achievement where you're cutting people down and you're not even happy when you get to where you want to get to and yeah. you have all these same exoteric crises that you have. You, I'm, know? you know, these people that they're, they're lonely. It's, it's, um, and, or they're, you know, been married four times or, you know, their children, their grown children aren't talking to them. So I work very, um, uh, carefully to help heal those places. I mean, there are some folks that definitely are toxic and don't want to change. And so you just give it your best shot. You know, you change any part of the system, one part of the system, and it will change. We keep trying to change things by doing the same thing over and over again. And as we know, that doesn't work very well. So who can we change? We keep wanting the outside world to change. And we're the ones that need to look inward and do the change. And to your point, the quote, you know, Hillel's quote, that is so extraordinary. If I am not for myself, who will be for me? If I can't be on my own team, put the oxygen mask on myself first. If I don't have 
self-trust, self-love, self-respect, how can I expect the rest of the world to have that for me? I've got to start from the inside out. Then Hillel also said, but if I am for myself only, what am I? Where's my tribe? Where's my team? Where's my humanity? If I only stay focused on myself, that doesn't work. And then if, then if not now, when? What are we waiting for? We don't know how much time we have. None of us really knows. So why don't we start now? So, so just to, to clarify for the listeners that, that it's, we, we, there's, there's so many, there's, that was a beautiful <laughs> way to say it. You know, uh, uh, a, a mentor of mine, uh, Jordan, he's not, I don't know him, but I've, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. I was doing a lot. His name's Jordan Peterson. He always speaks about, you know, make your bed before you go out and try to fix the world. Is that at a certain point you have to take responsibility when you're looking around, you're saying my team's not doing what my team needs or my wife not doing what my wife needs to do, taking that responsibility and saying, you know, am I, have I created, it sounds exactly like what you were saying at the beginning of the, of the, of the discussion where at 24 years old, growing up, knowing you how to fix the world and growing up and going to, you know, the, some of the best institutions in the countries and, and having this wonderful family, like you were lost because there wasn't, there wasn't the focus on you first. And that's where so many people get off track. And it's like, well, I make so much money with my business or I do so much for my, my spouse or X, Y, Z. It's like, but would you hang out with yourself? Do you spend time by yourself asking yourself what you need right now? And like most people, like the most successful people in the world, they never even think about that kind of thing. It's a crazy thing. That's really you know? true. Yeah. It's like, why put so much focus on the outside? Because our fear is, well, if I focus on myself, then that's arrogant, selfish, self-serving. And we have this negative connotation for it as, a, as opposed to just having it be a natural, healthy ego from a healthy place, not from an arrogant, self-serving place. And that's why it takes that interdependence, that I've got to have personal self-talk, self-love, self-respect. And then I can take that out into the world so that I have much, you know, I have the stamina and the energy to be in service and not in sacrifice. Big difference. You've been in this game for a long time. And yes. <laughs> it's, it's been, you know, how trendy it is and, you know, what it is and how it goes and all this kind of stuff. You've seen a lot of patterns and it coming into popularity and out and how it shifts. What do you see for yourself? I know that you mentioned that you're, you love doing retreats and, and these kinds of things. Like, where do you see the work that you do going? Is, are there new things that are kind of coming into it? Is it more kind of going back to basics and, and just speaking in the new language that, 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 that people need to hear? Where do you see it going? And, and, and what really excites you about the path that your company is, is charting going forward? It's a great question. Thank you. Um... First of all, the, you know that saying, everything old is new again? <laughs> the concepts that we teach inside of, our ex, inside of our retreats and inside of our corporate trainings, they've been around for a really long time. But we've got this new generation, and they haven't heard these concepts in quite these same ways. Now, some of them they have, like, the idea of win-win, but they still don't understand what that really means because they're still focused on, well, how, you know, how are they going to get their house or meet their partner or all of, all of those things that we do at that certain age range. 
And so where I see ourselves going is continuing to build our build communities, build um, this, this recognition that business in order to be successful, purpose-driven businesses matter. So that's changing. The ability to still teach retreats, to still teach people how to have positive self-talk. That has not changed. We're still humans. That has just, it's consistent. You know, when you ask people to say, what would you like to get out of this seminar? Consistently, it doesn't matter if they're a CEO or a stay-at-home mom or dad, they have the same fears, the same human concerns. That has not changed. And so to be able to go in there and still create um, an environment that is completely safe for people to share and self-disclose, that is still, it's still consistently very strong and very powerful. Um, how we do it, we'd like to build our retreat center up in Oregon. We've kind of come full circle. We've got our a beautiful piece of property up in Oregon, and we use the river as a metaphor quite a lot. And so that's our, our next dream and leaving a legacy for our children. And for me personally, see, it's so interesting when somebody says, so what is in there? What's going to be next for you? I still automatically go to talk about what it's gonna be like for everybody else. <laughs> and I need to also press the pause button and say, wait a minute, what about how am I going to do that for myself so that I can be there for everybody else? And so um, I, I meditate and do yoga every day, first thing in the morning. And my dream for myself is to pass this on to the next generation. And not just leave a legacy of we have this beautiful property up in Oregon to leave to our children and as a retreat center. My dream is to leave the work and the constructs and the ideas that we teach passed down to our children and start training the next generation of facilitators so that this can continue and people can find their way to how to build, how to take care of yourself as an individual and be a part of a community that wants to do good things in the world. So, so what I, what my I, plan is training the next generation of facilitators. What's so beautiful about what happened, just for the, uh, for, for, to point that out for the people that didn't pick that one up, was the grace with which you noticed that you were not done in the evolution and, <laughs> and consistently working on, on ourselves, which I, I can't... The older the older I get, I get, and you know, I I <laughs> I was giving a, a talk about I didn't pick the topic. Someone else picked the topic about you know the, the Jewish perspective on success, and I was sitting with people that literally ran billion dollar companies and had bigger families than me, and were seeming you know were happier than me, and all that kind of stuff. I said I don't have anything to tell you guys, you know. But <laughs> but but ultimately, it's about it's 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 about being aware that we're all. In that, in that work and that even if we do have roles as leaders in our communities, that we shouldn't for one second think that we're done and that we don't need to be connected back uh, to, to our, our practice and to have that humility, which, which was like beautiful that you, that you displayed that. Um, and, and also that, that sense that 
you know, the, the, the work is, the work is never done. And, and I, I learned a lot. I interviewed a guy who's now one of the, um, the experts on um, the opioid epidemic. And, and he said that really at the, at the core of it, it's all loneliness. And so the fact that you on the front lines of, of the fight for self-esteem is saying we need to build community, I think is a big validation. And, and also go, go, going back to nature. It's like at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're a person that needs to learn how to breathe. We need to connect. There's all of the metaphors. It's not like Tesla's new invention as right. great as that might be. I could also learn a lot from a river, which has been there for thousands of years. You know what that's I mean? It. That's it's right. a tremendous concept. Yes, because that's, that's really what it takes, that ability to slow down and breathe and say, well, why are we working this hard to, so that we can, are we living to, to, um, to rest or are we resting to live? It's like, how, how do we, taking that day off, there's a reason why you take time off to rejuvenate. And the older I get and the more I know, the more I realize how much I don't know. <laughs> Beautiful. So might as well get started now because uh, there's not, uh, might as well. you, don't, you don't graduate from this stuff. No, um, you don't. It's costing and I'm learning a lot from this next generation, particularly around um, gender fluidity and uh, language and how we speak so that it's more inclusive and trying to help people that even though you might have these beliefs, can we can we listen and understand to the, uh, the other person and not immediately go to judgment? Because it's impossible to be in judgment and be listening at the same time. You just can't. Right. So right. how do we learn how to suspend judgment and get present so that we can truly start to have compassion for the other and not just demonize each other, which we, I, I keep thinking we can't get more polarized and then we do. <laughs> and I've got to stop myself when I go to that same place and go, there I am doing the very thing that I'm in resistance to, because that's how resistance works. So I've, I, you know, I'm in process all the time <laughs> to keep learning this stuff. I love it. Michelle, thank you so much. It's I, been I, a joy. I, lear I learned so much. Tell me, please, how, how my listeners can find out more about what you and your family does and, and potentially work with you, reach out to you, and learn about what your, your company does. Absolutely. Well, our, um, our URL, our website is possible, P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E dot co. And we have on our website, we have uh, the corporate work that we do and the intentional culture that we teach and, the, and uh, the executive coaching. And then we have our emotional intelligence seminars where we have our, we have three levels. We have one, which is very much about learning that self-talk and how we create our own reality. The second about creating a new definition of ourselves in the second level and then the third level we go to sedona and go out into the red rocks and oh so good and be in nature because that is where as a uh, as heschel said this is that's where the word radical comes from radical awe right this is awesome because when we're in nature we look around we didn't create that and that's what gets us to that place of connection and oneness so um, how people, people can contact me at michelle at possible.co. It confuses people. It's not .com. It's just .co. And M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, um, a -L -L -E, Michelle with two L's. And I'm happy to take um, personal emails and personal connection from anyone and 
talk to them more about our seminars and we like to keep them small and intimate so that a lot of deep work can happen in a very short amount of time. Amazing. I say short, three days. Some people, that's the con, you know, different context. Three days. Oh my gosh. How am I going to take three days? Right. I'm, I'm profoundly upset because uh, I usually have a very easy time titling all of my interviews and you've, uh, you, you haven't made that easy for me. I'm like, oh, no, what am I going to do? But, and uh, we both need to get moving. So it's absolutely. been an absolute delight. I look Thank forward you. to staying in touch down the road. Thank you so much. Thank you. There you have it, folks. Another inspiring episode. If you enjoyed this, I ask you to please share this with your friends and to like us over on Rabbi Rupp through Facebook or on YouTube. And the more that we're able to get these important messages out, the more that we can really make an impact in the world. So I encourage you, please, to stay tuned. Uh, We have a ton of amazing speakers coming up and also to tell your friends about it. Thank you very much.